Welcome to the Coaches Area Podcast, hosted by me, Ross Flintoft. It's in association with Tactical Thinker, where the listeners will be able to have full access, all areas, to coaches talking about the beautiful game. Evening, everybody. Today, well, tonight, sorry, my special guest is Rob Porter. How are you, Rob? Not too bad. Yourself? Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, not n- not so good for coaching, I don't think, today, with the rain up where I live. Um, but yeah, all in all... Um, Good, well, healthy, and all the better for um, really looking forward to catching up with you on, on the pod tonight. Yeah, sorry, uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, really excited for it. No problems. And um, we'll kick things off. Um, first and foremost, massive congratulations on your full-time job at Oxford United. How are you finding it so far? Yeah, it's been. I think it's been about nine months now since I got the full-time job, which in fairness, I'm a bit older. And I must admit, I was at the point in my kind of journey where I thought I wouldn't get a full-time job. So it's come up and, you know, it's I've kind of, yeah, jumped at the opportunity. And, um, yeah, nine months in, it's been really good, in fairness. It's been it's been busy. It's been a sort of a massive learning curve, <clears throat> you know, uh, seeing some of the stuff that kind of goes on behind the scenes to things like holiday camps. You know, you wouldn't believe the amount of stuff, but, you know, to get, this, get sorted behind the scenes to get them on and stuff like that and... You know, but it's been uh, probably the probably the biggest kind of jump in my coaching as well in the last nine months because it's exposed me to lots of different environments, different age groups. You know, working working with different air in different areas. It's been yeah, it's been fascinating. Brilliant. Um, when you first put this on social media about your um coaching inside, you know it. A prison for me it was like whoa no 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 not this is definitely not for me um i'm quite comfortable in my own environment so i'll just stick with that i think but how did you find coaching in in a prison i'll be honest when when i got the role and i went in and sort of had an induction they said about it's it's a it's yeah something called a twinning project so it's working with the twinning project we go in and, and deliver in in HMP Bullenden, which is uh, in Bicester in Oxfordshire. And I'll be perfectly honest, and I was like a little bit apprehensive about that, to say the least. Um, never been into a prison environment. Wasn't something I was, yeah, I would say I was pretty nervous about it, to be honest with you. Went in there the first time. And for now, I think I've probably been into that prison, probably getting on for about 30 times now. So it's kind of become kind of routine. We're on our third cohort. Um and yeah, I've kind of it's got to the point where it just becomes like a regular part of your of your week. Um, we run, yeah, it's the third one I've done, so it's sort of uh, every three times a year, five five weeks for the course. And yeah, it was as I said it was something that beforehand I was very nervous about, but actually it's one of the most rewarding and uh, best parts of my job. To be honest with you, um, how how did you find the first session or speaking to you know? the inmates in, 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 in the prison and, and, and how did you have to change your language up a little bit was it like I know it's obviously like coaching adults but did you have to change things up because of the environment that you were in or the sessions or is football just football whoever you coach wherever you coach and what environment it's in yeah, I must say, I, yeah first one because it, it's part classroom based every session and part uh, on the grass so yeah, we do some tasks. It's basically the level one as it was pre-COVID. 
Um, so you've got some you've got some tasks to do. You've got some on pitch delivery to do. Some of it's me delivering to the cohort. Some of it's them delivering to each other, which is which is fascinating to watch. But yeah, going in there and you know there is obviously there is some absolutely horrible people in prison. There's no doubt about that. You know, in there for some serious things. But a lot of the lads on the you know on the course, they're under two year sentences. They're on good behaviour. They're on. They're in there for for crimes that won't stop them getting a DBS. So. And to be honest with you, they're, they're just normal people. And I think kind of once the stigma goes away of, oh, they're prisoners and, and all the rest of it, you actually find that a lot of them have just made a silly mistake and it's it's ended up kind of where they are. And actually a lot of them then want to get released and, and make the best of their situation, you know, on release. And had one lad this week, um, last Thursday, he said at the end, he said, look, any any recommendations for books and stuff like that? And uh, I've I've literally wrote up a list. I'm going to go in there tomorrow and give them a list of books you can read, coaching books. So, you know, they are, oh, you know, they're, they're they're people who want to learn, want to improve themselves, and you know, and, and give themselves and upskill themselves, which is obviously fascinating um, and really rewarding as well. That's brilliant. In I think I'm a massive believer in like a, a second chance at life. So when they get out and when they can get the DBS and when they can put that kind of prison life behind them and crack on with maybe the coaching from from yours and Oxford City, you know, community foundations help, which is fantastic within the community. Um, I think so. Good luck to you with with that, and and, and hopefully good luck to the to the people like you're coaching. Um. And hopefully they can get out, have a second chance at life, and and hopefully you know get on the coaching ladder through yours and Oxford United Oxford United's help. Yeah, definitely. It's um, yeah, it's one where we're we're just starting to see some people be released, and sort of we're helping them then to, to finish off. So basically, upon release, they've got to do their first aid, safeguarding, and then get a DBS. So we're starting to see that, which is good, and obviously then helping them upon release. But I think the other thing on the course is um, the first task on that we do is is qualities of a coach. So you've got to put down nine qualities of a coach. And, and the spin I put on that was the fact that, right, these are qualities of a coach, punctuality, planning, communication skills, people skills. But actually, they're kind of the, also what they need for when they're released in terms of actual sort of people skills on the outside. So... You know, there is some crossover as well. It's not just football, it's kind of life skills and people skills, which is which is beneficial as well. Which is, you know, which that is coaching, isn't it? Yeah, you can have all the plans and whatever you want, but if you're not a people person, then you you maybe not be able to, to coach at all, really. Definitely not, no. And, and that's for me, I think the, te- the technical and the tactical side of it is about 50%, but the site, so, well, I suppose it does split 50-50, but... If you haven't got the people skills, you can't communicate with people, you can't connect with people, you can't get the best out of people, you're going to struggle as a coach, to be honest with you. And I think, you know, that's that's massively important for me. Definitely. Um, I think I've spoken in front of my colleagues about twice when I've been at work. Um, it was quite nerve-wracking. It was quite, you know, oh, should I do it, should I not? Can someone else do it? You know, like you kind of palm it off to somebody else because... You're not confident and do it, and it's a massive kind of getting myself out of the the comfort zone. Um, how did you find public speaking, and what advice do you have for overcoming those pre-speaking nerves? <laughs> it's quite funny because 
public speaking doesn't really bother me. I must be used to when I first started coaching, first presentation night I did for like my son's team and there's about 100 people in the room and you're kind of like, wow. And I had my, um, my heart rate was about 150 on the watch. It was like, but yeah, over time, I suppose. And it's it's one of those things with a lot of things, it's repetition. The more you do it, the more comfortable you come. Um, I had a couple of weeks ago, we were delivering on um, the Thames Valley Police Conference. So we had about 200 people, 200 police, uh, different police staff and stuff like that. In, in It's actually in the Kazam as well, which was quite fascinating. So, yeah, we presented on that for about 40 minutes. And to be honest with you, that didn't really bother me. But there's something um, I was asked to do on sort of work-related from outside the prison, sort of just on my experience with Bullingdon, just on my phone. And I struggle with that, to be honest with you. So, rooms full of people doesn't bother me, but actually talking to myself on the phone does, which is kind of kind of fascinating. But, yeah, I think just advice is the more you do it, the more confident and comfortable you're going to get. It's not easy. Just try to relax, just try to enjoy it. And yeah, as I said, it does become easier, like like everything. Would you recommend people going on, like, a, I don't know if there is or isn't, like a public speaking type of course? Potentially. I don't know if it's a, a blessing or a curse, but I can talk for England, to be fair, if you're with you. So it's, yeah, that's, that's one of the things for me. I, I can just talk and talk and talk. So. But yeah, I think if it's something that you struggle with, you know, with, with like everything, there's, there's people that can help you. And these days, you know, why wouldn't you? You know, if you've, if you've got the opportunity to, to develop yourself in that and that's an area you need to develop, then yeah, go for it, definitely. Brilliant. Uh, you are quite active on X, obviously, old, the old Twitter, and you are really good at networking with people. What's your trick or does it come natural? Uh, that just comes down to the to the people skills as well. I suppose you know that communication. Um, and I think I think the thing in football is the way you treat people gets reciprocated. So you know if you treat people respect, treat people nicely, it comes back. Where you know, especially grassroots football, you get so many coaches who act like idiots, and then further down the line, if that coach is trying to develop themselves and kind of further themselves, and they're coming across people who are actually like they've you know, had arguments with and, you know, and all the rest of it. Then, you know, so, yeah, the way you treat people is massive. I think, you know, I, I've always always try to be respectful, try to be kind. And, and I suppose, you know, if you're if you're a good person, then hopefully, good, you know, it comes back, comes back to, you know, to you as well. So I think that's one thing for me is, you know, reaching out to people. But I think as well, it's it's not always being taken. It's trying to give as well. Yeah, I think it, or if you're there and it's like, well, how can you help me all the time? Then people sort of right, you know, you kind of figure out. But if you're there trying to help people and you know they can see that it's not just one way traffic, I think that's really helpful as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of understand about the give and take in football because obviously I've set up numerous coaching. Um, WhatsApp groups, Telegram groups, Discord groups, whatever. And every time, I, every time um, the rules are, if you take something from the group, whether it might be a resource, a session, advice, whatever it may be, you've got to give something back. You can't just take, 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 take. Where I've been in that position before when I was a young coach, I used to take everything and didn't give much, much back. But now I'm at the age where I can take... And take one thing and give two bits back. 
definitely. I think it's quite nice the fact that back in the day, before you know, I suppose Twitter's been around for a while or X as it is now, but back in the day before that, coaching was kind of a lot more secret squirrel. You know, people didn't want to share stuff and you always kind of, yeah, you know, I think a lot of coaches thought they had the secret and, you know, a lot of coaches were very secretive and they didn't want to share stuff. But um, I was talking to a coach the other, the other week and he was like, oh, where can I get resources and stuff like that? I'm like, Twitter. And uh, he's like, oh, no, I, I hate Twitter. And I said, look, I must admit, I agree with you about 90% of it. There's a lot of stuff that I don't want to have any part of. But the coaching part of it is 99.9% positive. You will get the odd person on there is a bit of an idiot, but most of it's yeah. very positive and it's all coaches trying to help each other. So yeah, I steer clear of a lot of subjects on, on social media. I just try to keep it to coaching. Yeah, definitely. And obviously I'm going to plug my own kind of episode with my Dutch uh, friend, Bert-Jan Hegemans, and he used to say to me when I was at Brand United, do you know what the secret is in coaching? And I was thinking, oh, it's got to be this brilliant thing that I've never even thought of. And he said, the secret is that there's no secret in coaching. Yeah, no, there is, there's, you know, there's knowledge, but there's no knowledge that's unattainable. That's just getting that knowledge. And I think that's where social media is so helpful to other people. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, it's, it's helped me. I put, as you know, I put sessions out on Twitter. What I would love people to do more often when you put sessions out is just feedback on them. Good, bad, and different, because I'm sure people will take them, in and and that and that's fine. Because people that on the other hand, the things well, you put it out there, so why can't people take? And that's fine. That's brilliant. Um, if if they want to do that, I would just love people when I put something out to comment back on just a question, maybe, or they didn't like that. You could do it this way or or that way or whatever it might be, rather than either liking it. I am um, quite grateful, well, very grateful of the retweets and everything like that, but just interact, a little bit of networking, just speak um, about uh, about stuff. Yeah, and it is fascinating as well. Like, a session that you do with your group is never going to work exactly the same with another group because no. they're different individuals, they're different ability, different ages, whatever it is. It's always fascinating to find out how sessions that you've kind of put out there how people find them and how they adapt to them and what works and what doesn't work for other groups is always really fascinating yeah that's that's coaching by speaking to people and, and trying to get around so what worked with your i don't know for example if you were coaching the 12s might not work with my under 16s maybe but what could i do to kind of advance it on so the under 16s can either get it or know the understanding of the practice or at least I would so I could take it and kind of do it with them but with like little tweaks and I think that's one of the coaches English coaches key qualities of is being adaptable have yeah. to be adaptable yeah. these days if 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 you can't and you just rely on the even numbers then you're missing a trick in my opinion because you need to adapt because you could you could plan for you know, 12, 13 turns up, what are you going to do with the extra person? You can't tell them to go home because no. yeah, they've either paid for it or they're included in that session. So you have to include them and, and being a, being adaptable um, is a great thing because I think that's one of the qualities of English coaches um, that, that we've got in England, that adaptability of 
right? I can just be able to switch my session plan from an even number to an odd number and it still works. Yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll try to kind of fat that, factor that into my planning. Um, I'm quite lucky, sort of, obviously, my, like my main coach with the Girls' Academy, it's, you know, you very, very rarely get players not turn up who, who've said they're going to turn up. But, you know, the grassroots coaching, whether it's uh, um, an after-school club, you're never going to know. So if you're planning for 12 and you don't get 12 and you're snookered, then, you know, you're going to struggle. So adaptability and, and having confidence in yourself to be able to adapt and kind of go with it does take some time as well and I think that's something that's a that's a real key quality of a coach as well yeah definitely I know we've we've, we've touched on X and in, in, in Twitter in your opinion how can social media help people coaches in the footballing world what what do you tend to filter out as the good the bad and different stuff so yeah, obviously sessions is is obviously a, a very obvious one, and I think that's that's something that's really good. But I think it's that kind of it's the connectivity and the fact that actually, if you've got a question, if I had a question about coaching back in the day, you know, if you couldn't find it on Google, you just didn't know. Yeah. Where now, actually, there's there's people like Tony Mee or Peter Prickett, or you know, there's loads and loads of coach. I can name tons of them where. You can ask a question, and like especially Tony, uh, me, like on a Sunday share, he'll be like, "Right, someone ask a question." They're like, "Right, here's a resource," or I would do X, Y, and Z. And you've got loads of coaches out there who who are very experienced coaches who've coached at a high level, but have also done other stuff, and and they're willing to help. So yeah, I think it's just that feeling of not feeling alone. Cause I know when I first started, it's kind of especially a lot of grassroots clubs aren't really clubs; they're just a uh, you know, a collection of teams who are kind of very independent. And, you know, a lot of the time I was quite lucky when I first started, there was a there was a coach I worked with who'd he'd done his youth modules and he was very good. Then he moved abroad to, to do a to do a course and I was just felt a bit isolated. So I think that sort of not feeling alone, not feeling isolated, being able to ask any questions you've got is is probably one of the biggest ones for me. And like I've said, like Twitter is probably the best place for that kind of question if 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 you've just got a question for like you know today or any sunday everyone's you know everyone's quite like you've said before and like i put stuff out there on sunday share with with yourself and lee and 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 peter and mark who run that um and it's a brilliant resource and i know i've had lee and i've had peter on here and if and if we either kind of sold that or sold some of the stuff or all the stuff resources in 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 the sessions and the plans for it could be about like 10 grand or something like that couldn't it be for, for all the stuff that it's been happening on there and the questions the people that can help the the networking that you get out of it because you get so much out of the sunday share that you might not have thought um that that you would really, especially about you know like your plans, your 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 sessions, your next week's sessions. You know you could find a practice that suits you, your plan, and then that just adds to it for for the next week. Sometimes, so yeah, I just think, you know, like you said that the social media type of stuff, X, Twitter, whatever you will call it these days, um, is 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 great for that. But I kind of understand you where you're coming from when you say. Twitter is really good for coaching and some of the other stuff it isn't and it shouldn't really be on there in my opinion uh, but it's it, it's on it's like a massive worldwide thing 
Um, anyway, I can talk for England. Sorry, um, that's how <laughs> I can. That's how I can like talk and 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 talk and on one subject and on another and things like that. Okay, getting back to the pod. What's your favourite book you've read? That's an, it's got to be uh, Quality of Madness, uh, Marcelo Bielsa book, because being a Leeds fan, um, right, and, and that was just absolutely fa- a fascinating read. There's kind of a story about the hand grenade. I won't kind of spoil it for anyone who hasn't read it. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's just like what an amazing kind of a person, coach, and all the rest of it. So for me, that was kind of like. Yeah, it's not it's not coaching coaching in terms of the X's and O's and all the rest of it, but yeah. you know he's yeah he's an amazing coach and kind of you know shame shame the way it ended with Leeds to be honest with you, yeah, it was a bit definitely. unfortunate, but that was a <coughs> that was a really fascinating read for me, definitely. Do you think if you had a stay at Leeds, you wouldn't have got relegated? I would, yeah, I would have said probably not. They probably wouldn't have got relegated. I know they were in a bit of a rut. And yeah, it was it was an interesting one. I think he probably would have gone the end of the season anyway. Uh, he hasn't, you know, he, he's never stayed anywhere for a particularly long period of time. But it was a shame the way it ended. And yeah, less said about Jesse Marsh era. I think the better, to be honest with you. Um, but no, he's looking brighter for Leeds now. You know, they've got a, they've got a good coach and they've managed to retain at least some of the players who who haven't gone on loan. And you know, they're looking good. So. You know, it's, I suppose being the Premier League's brilliant, but if we're getting battered every week, it's kind of yeah, not that's the true. Fun, I suppose, and if you're if you're winning more often than not, I suppose that's quite quite nice as a fan. So you know, maybe a bit of both isn't the worst thing in the world. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure you're on the right course to come back to the Premiership. No, definitely. Favorite course you've been on? Oh, that's a tough one. Can I say, I would say, I know it's kind of not one course, but it's definitely got to be the the FA Youth Modules as a three. I know, I suppose it goes into one award, so I'll be able to give you that one. But yeah, those were so eye-opening and like really shaped me as a coach because, you know, the old, old, old level one back in the day was, I'm not sure, I was kind of petrified before it, before, you know, it's like, oh, you got to do a, a session at the end. And the bloke who was tutoring it was on his phone the whole time. He wasn't even looking. Um, you know, and the old level two was all right. You got some technical detail out of it. It wasn't a, it wasn't amazing, but yeah, the youth modules were were so eye opening and kind of yeah were were really positive for me. And the way for B was decent as well, but I just said the youth modules. Brilliant. What what was your what was your most um, not so much important thing, but the 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 thing that most struck with you to take into your coaching from youth modules. I think it was the practice spectrum and trying to get that balance between repetition and realism right. I think it's something that <coughs> is always kind of utmost in my mind, the fact that, especially the younger age groups, if you do a practice that is all repetition, yes, they might get better at the technical side of it. And then you throw them into a game, they're like rabbits in the headlights. But then at the same time, if you're, for example, work on a finishing session and you get four goals in an hour and, and five or six of the players haven't had a shot, then you're not going to get the outcomes out of that. So, yeah, I think the, the practice spectrum and, and getting that right, I think, is something that I kind of took out of it. Brilliant. What's your favourite session of coach? That's a tough one. I do... I love an attacking session, who doesn't? But I do like a good defending 1v1 session as well. It's always quite fun. And I think with 1v1 defending, 
I like the fact I like I like doing different things with it as well because you know a lot of defending one v one is right. You're fronted up. You're you're going to go to press. You're going to slow down. You, you know you're going to get side bloody blah all the rest of it. But a lot of one v ones aren't necessarily that. You know the the player might be at your size. They might have they might have their back to goal. They might be pressing them from so so in that body and limb side of it, and you know trying to be physical to win the ball. So yeah, because there's loads loads of different ways you can take that. And I, I do think kind of one v one defending does get pigeonholed to that players in front of you. I think for me, I think uh, in in my experience from coaching like attacking and defending, I like quite. I think defending's easier the coach than 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 attacking. Obviously, you don't have the ball. You've just got to close space. Watch your man. There's, I feel as though there's less decisions in defending that you have to make than there is on the attacking. So obviously, defending, keep the ball in front of you. You know, slide across nearest man, presses the ball, try to contain and compact the space, make the space all the space compact. Um. You know, win the ball and try to counter. But when you've got the attackers, the teaching attacking or coaching attacking, obviously you've got yourself, you've got your own individual tactics, on your own individual possession tactics. You've got other people. You've got where the defenders are, how where the space is. How can I get my other players involved, and where can the other players be for me? Like an overlap can open space. Where's open spaces? I may have to play a short pass to open it up. I may have to play the long pass. Two short passes create the long pass. Up, back, through. Like loads of different. I might have to skill a defender to get open up some spaces. Loads of other factors, decisions, um, things that's going to help people. But you've got to think about things. So obviously, I quite I quite like def- coaching defending, cause. There's a lot less decisions for me as a coach really to, to think about when you're teaching. So it's all about defending, it's all about compactness. Keeping the ball in front of you, nearest man to the ball. Three things really about defending. But when you teach attacking, you've got to think, right, what I want what what you've said, what I want out of this session, so person on the ball, his or her individual tactics, individual brilliance. Other players, what can they do? The space, the other defenders, the goal maybe, as though, you know, the goals never move, so you should know, you know, the players should know where the goals are because the goals never move if you're doing a, especially if you're doing a, a shooting session. But if you're doing like a shooting small side of game, there's loads of factors into that. So that's yeah. why I kind of like, like what you said, I quite like doing a defending session more or delivering dis- uh, a, d- a defending session more because... There's less things to think about, and it's for me, my opinion, it's easier to coach because there's less things to think about, and that's just my opinion. I, I don't know what you think. I think the two things I really love about in possession is one, I've been quite lucky in the in in the past. Obviously, we've we've come like we've had like a when you're under sixteen a couple of years, we had an FA Youth Cup run, um, and like we had Leeds United in the quarterfinal, and we managed to get some footage and. We sort of had that analysis sessions. We managed to break down what their tactics were and and how we're going to exploit different things. And and when stuff like that pays off, it's always obviously it's it's a massive buzz. And like um, when we played and the goal we scored, it ended up one one. We won on penalties, but the goal we scored was literally off something we've seen where their left back would get really high 
and was a bit slow in transition. And it was right, ball into a nine. The seven would be literally on a bike, recognising that. Exploit that. The nine would bounce it around the corner and she'd be through and literally scored a goal from that, which was, you know, brilliant. And, yeah, and sort of stuff like that. When you put stuff in sessions, it kind of comes off. We had another session earlier in the season where we were looking at sort of different pictures when playing the attacking third. And one was... Uh, I think it was like the the four bounces into a nine who sets it back to the eight who has a shot in the edge of the box. And there was a player in training kind of got set back to her and she didn't take the shot and she passed it again. And I had a little chance to look, I want you to be positive to have that shot. I don't care if you miss, especially in training, we're here to we're here to do it. And she took that into the weekend and kind of almost the same picture happened. And from about 25 yards out, she put it top bins. So I was like... You know, because I suppose there's there's that psych social bit. I've gone in and I've had that chat and I've tried to build up her confidence to, to to go and do it. And she's gone and done it and scored. So you know, as a coach, it's yeah, that's they're they're always good moments. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so when you're coaching, what are your thoughts on co-coaching and what should your um and what sh- should your opinion happen when co-coaching? So what's your sorry that 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 question does not make any sense. Sorry, listeners. Sorry, Rob. What yeah, what what are your thoughts on co-coaching and what should happen when you when you're co-coaching? What's your thoughts on it? I could literally write a book about it to be honest with you. I really could. It's it's an interesting one because there's loads of different ways to do it. Um, and I see you know working with different people. You know, some coaches have got different you know different areas of strength, different weaknesses, but. I think for me, if you're working as a pair, especially if you've got two sessions a week, me and the coach I worked with last season, we'd have, on a Monday, I'd plan the session. So I was in charge of the whole session in terms of planning, in terms of explaining practices, in terms of timings, um, and make, like the bigger group stoppages. And then I'd, as part of my plan, I'd have individual roles in each practice, whether that's serving in balls, whether that's working with one team, if it's if it's two teams about how they're going to play against the other team, whether it's looking at coaching individuals, um, and then he do the do the same. So he he planned the Thursday session, and I'd be the assistant for that one. So and that worked really well. Um, obviously, other coaches we've had it where you know I'll do twenty minutes, they'll do twenty minutes, and, and we kind of alternate. But I find that it's a little bit harder because if you've got a practice that's working really well, and it's like kind of it's working well let's let's continue it but then you're eating into the other coach's time yeah so if you're if you're leading the whole session it's your own time if you know what i mean so i think for me if you've got two sessions two coaches and you're on a reasonably even footing i think that's the best way to go and obviously sometimes you've got a lead coach and assistant coach and you know there's 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 more than one way to skin a cat to use an old phrase but for me that's probably the best one yeah okay quite Agree with you there. With if I planned the session, I would do the attacking, then my other coach would do the defending aspects of the session. Then, say the other night, he or she plans the session, and I kind of either do the attacking or the defensive side of things. So, that's probably the best way if I was co coaching with a coach like I have done in, in the past. Um, that's probably the best way how I've kind of delivered it and, and, and how we've done it really um so yeah so that's my thoughts and listeners will probably have 
other other thoughts on on this as well the chunking method might work for them different voice whatever it might be um our versions of core coaching might work some of the listeners may have a different um aspect on core coaching if you if you do get in touch with rob and myself after the um podcast um how how and when do you introduce current coaching trends within your coaching? That's an interesting question. And I think when I did my way to B, I was quite lucky because I had um, Des Buckingham was my tutor. And at the end of it, and he said about, you know, especially when it links back to social media and fairness, he said, look, there's a lot of stuff you'll find on social media. And there'll be like a pendulum that's swing one way or the other in terms of like rondos for example i know that's been like recently it's been quite a big big thing but take what works for you is the first thing and don't be swayed by everything because what might be a current coaching trend might work for one coach but not for another depending on environment age you know all the rest of it but i've tried to think of myself as a coach who's quite progressive who's trying to trying to learn all the time so yeah, it's an interesting one. I think just if I take if I if I see someone, I think well that's going to improve me. Just jump in straight away, um, play with it, see if it works, see how it works, and and don't be afraid if it doesn't work to say you know what actually it's not for me. Yeah. I don't think we have to take everything. You know, as said, it's what what works for you as an individual. I think is is a massive thing. And what's and and really what's working for your team and what the individuals you have for in your team as well. Um. Again, great advice from Rob there, listeners, about just taking what you want, what would work for you and and your team. Try not to take everything because, like you've said, it'll not work. No, I think you just end up overloading yourself. I know it was one thing with with COVID, and one of the best things about COVID was all the all the webinars. There was yeah. loads of really, really good content. But I kind of felt, I got to the point where it was like, we've got all this, I've got, notes and notes and notes and all this stuff but i can't get it all in at once you know yeah. so it's yeah it's also kind of yeah not overloading yourself and, and not trying to do too much too quickly um and it's difficult and i suppose the longer you coach and i wouldn't say you i wouldn't say you get set in your ways but you kind of you have your style yeah. and i think it's being true to yourself but obviously also recognising when you can improve and where you can improve, I think is is a real kind of balancing act. Yeah, like you can always, like you say, collect stuff, but it, it comes a time where you have to design your own practices for your own players because you know what works, you know the players that you have. You can't kind of, that I've tried in the past, like majorly guilty of trying things with that I've seen on courses or CPD events with my team that I was coaching and it just hasn't worked and I'm tearing my hair out that's probably why I haven't got much left I'm tearing my hair out to say why is it not, not working and then I think there was one person said just like off the cuff well you've seen it on that such and such course but and it worked for their players but it hasn't worked tonight because you haven't got the players to do it and then that's when it finally clicked that yeah I'll just I'm just better off yeah going to see stuff working it, tweaking it, and designing it for my own players and, and, and myself, really. Um, and like we've talked about co-coach, and, and, and the co-coach who was with us understands it as well. Yeah, definitely. I think so one of the best things about 
Twitter or, or X or whatever is is the sessions, but then it's recognising how that works for your group and that's obviously knowing your group and knowing the individuals and and I, I the challenge I love doing myself is coming up with my own practices. Literally, I know what the syllabus topic is and I'm like, right, how am I going to do this? When it works, it's brilliant. It doesn't always work. And so obviously when it doesn't work, it really doesn't work, in fairness. But it's a great challenge and it's what I enjoy. But yeah, I think obviously taking, taking sessions off social media is brilliant, but it's just then adapting it and recognising what your group needs, what they can do, what they can't do, what's going to work, what's not going to work. Yeah, definitely. So which year, with you, um, so you've taken sessions from Twitter, you've designed yourself, what works for you, what works for your players. How do you then approach a game model and session design? Session, yeah, session. I did actually put a, a Sunday show out this morning. There was a there was a good kind of photos from from my way for me in terms of session design. So, um, but yeah, session designs are a really fascinating topic, and uh, it goes back to so say it's always foremost in my mind. Right, repetition to realism. Right, whatever the topic is, can we build up? We did uh, like a crossing crossing finishing session the other the other week. So it was like, right, how can I start off with getting good repetition so we had unopposed and it did link to formation a little bit so it was uh nine sets into 10 who plays it back to the 10 then it had sort of four dome cones as defenders so it's unopposed to start with the 10 plays a split pass between the center back and full back for the seven to run on to and then the different runs into the box so unopposed loads and loads of repetition built that practice by then adding taking two of the dome cones out and turns the defenders so it comes a little bit more um so you know a little bit more realistic it's still a 4v2 so hopefully you're still going to get the get the success and i think it especially with finishing sessions and stuff like that if you don't get the success it's kind of you know it's a bit pointless but at the same time if you get loads of success and you haven't added the pressure so that's a that's a fine balance match as well and then, yeah not to build everything towards your game and you know whether it is an under sevens uh, grassroots team, whether it's a ten year old doing an after school club or an under sixteens academy session, for me it should always end with a game, to be honest with you. You know, that's what I'm massive on. I think that's what players want to do. They want to play a game, so that's always kind of been my philosophy. I think when and I come to, you know, plan a session, it's like I think I've I heard this on one of the courses years back and it's just stuck with us all the time and you get to the you design the game the small side of the game at first and then you and then you go back see whatever you see whatever you want in the whatever you see in the game that you've designed try to make a skill of that try to make the technique when it was technique skill game type thing back and back and like years yeah. ago so I always try, and still to this day now I always try to think if it's a game the skill topic, the either possession, whatever it might be, and then the technical side. So we'll start with the game first. I know it, you're gonna st- you're gonna end with the game, but try with with myself. It was all all about the small side of the game. Plan that first, and then you go back, and then it should, fingers crossed, hopefully, um. For for me, just follow that smooth type flow. Yeah, I think it's, it should be 
pictures that you're going to see in the game. Because if it doesn't relate to a game, then, you know, and don't go right at the same time, does it, not everything does have to relate to a game. If you're doing like foot tennis and the right back to me, yeah, yeah. Really relates to the game, but, you know, there's still lots of stuff you get out of it. Um, I suppose it goes back to that argument of rondos and directional practices and non-directional practices, you know, there's, but yeah, I think I'll say it's got to have some kind of context to the game, you know, yeah, realistically. Yeah. Two goals, so, yeah, two goals, that's a good two goals in the direction. That's what should really be, because that's, that's football, isn't it? And attack and defend, and you're always going to have that transition element in it anyway, because you're either going to attack, lose the ball, drop in, team shape, whatever it might be, and then same thing for when you're defending, you drop in, get your shape, and then you try to transition after you've just either won it or, or lost it. Um, what do you choose? Development or winning? <laughs> um, I'm lucky I'm in a, an environment where you know it is development based um, I went with an age group this weekend and without going to obviously not too much detail I can go into but play some absolutely fantastic football they're playing in the boys JPL league and right. I'd argue they were the better team technically the better team tactically played the, played the better football um, lost, I think it was 5-2, something like that. It was a pretty dodgy penalty, a couple of goals from corners and all the rest of it. And we'd hit the bar and the post and whatever. But I said to the players at the end, I said, look, I've been with Oxford for quite a few years in terms of the academy side of it. I understand you're going to be disappointed because you lost a game of football, but that's not what we're here. We, no, we're, we're not going to judge you on, on results. We're judging you on what you're doing as individuals, what you're doing as a team, and some of the football they played was was really, really good. So, you know, yeah, for me, and I can understand the other side of it, you know, I've had it in grassroots where you've got parents who want to win, you've got players who want to win, and, you know, every player wants to win. Um, but, yeah, for me, it's definitely development first. And obviously, if you're going, if you're, you know, if you're coaching adults, it's going to be different. So it depends on your environment, but, for me, it's development first. I'll I'll just put this out there for you and the listeners, and just flip it on its side a little bit. Does winning um, develop the developers? So if <laughs> your team, not so much winning every game and like twenty nil, I, I I I don't definitely don't mean that. But if your sides winning, you know, like like five two, like three one, four one, four two, whatever it might be. Does the winning aspect of the game of football bring on the development of the players? I think it can do, but at the same time, you you can win and not develop, and you can lose and develop. So it is, yeah, it's. I mean, that's a subject you could talk about for hours, to be honest with you. So you could play Route One football. You know, your midfielders could not really touch the ball apart from they win it for for 80 minutes and you could win a game of football but have those players developed yes you've won but you could yeah. be the better team lose because the team they played against they had a lad who looked like about he was under they were under 13s and he looked about 16 he was tall he was quick and they played route on football and it was like bang over the top and you know so it's yeah it's, it's a fascinating topic for me yes you Ideally, you'd love both, wouldn't you? Yeah. And, uh, and, and that's for me is I'm never going to complain about winning. 
you know yeah. kids want to win i don't i've got to the point now where i kind of detach myself from the result to a certain extent because i used to be really bad for it if we lost you know i think a few years ago uh i think it was like under 12s back then we went to aston villa and got absolutely destroyed and it ruined the rest of my weekend i was absolutely miserable it's like you know, you 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 take the learning. Don't get me wrong; I don't detach myself from the learning part of it and and reviewing it and all the rest of it. But I detach myself from the from the emotions because it, yeah. what's the point? What's the point of getting upset and ruining your weekend for for a, for a game of football? So, and that's a difficult thing to do as well. And that took me a lot of years to to, to master that. But yeah, as I said I can go home now, win or loss, and it's and don't get me wrong; I still enjoy winning. I'm yeah, not you know, yeah. completely detached, but you know, the other day. And I can go home happy having lost if I've seen what I wanted to in terms of development, whether we've we've met our objectives and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's an, that's a really fascinating one. Yeah, brilliant. Like you say, you could spend nine o'clock in the morning, nine o'clock at night discussing development or winning or different things like that, couldn't you really? Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, it's... Yeah, because I've seen a lot of coaches, they'll be absolutely destroyed after a game and it's yeah. like... Yeah, you've lost a game of football, but what was the bigger picture out of it? Was there a bigger picture? And you know, as I said, like with the team I coached yesterday, I said, look, you've lost a game of football, but actually what we've seen has been really good. So, you know, so, and I say to players, look, you're, you're only human. I, you know, you're going to be disappointed after losing. Any player's going to be disappointed, but, you know, take the positives out of it as well. Yeah, definitely. Um. How do you develop your players and what do you consider the most important aspects in that environment? So, yeah, especially like um, foundation phase lead this season for the Girls Academy, and I'll start with that, is um, it's like we had some really good discussions on it this season. For me, it's developing technical footballers. You know, down the line, we'll, we'll really... Analogy was like you don't put the roof on the house until you built the walls, and I think for me that the technical side of it is the walls. And I see a lot of coaches are like under seven, under eight, working on high presses and formations and stuff like that. But if your player can't trap a ball and pass the ball five yards, it's it's a little bit immaterial. I had a, a quite a long, I wouldn't say argument, but, but a debate with someone on Twitter and he was saying, no, you start with the, the tactical side and then you kind of work back to the technical side, which I thought was interesting. But, um, but for me, yeah, especially the foundation phase, developing technical footballers and as it progresses to YDP and you know, there is a tactical element to it. Don't get me wrong. You know, you're not just chucking them in there and, you know, they just run around like, like lunatics. There is slight tactical side of it, but yeah, for me, that's the technical, then the YDP, it doesn't stop the technical side of it, but then you start sort of drip feeding the, the more the tactical side of it in terms of your pressing, pressing structures and formations and playing at them from the back and stuff like that becomes a bit more important. But yeah, I think there's a, there's a time and a place for everything, but it's just getting the right stuff at the right ages. Yeah, definitely. Like you say, I, I know obviously we're talking about the foundation phase there, but if you see, if you watch the pro football on the TV, like Man City and stuff like that. And people say, or here the pundits say, they don't really need a formation because they've got the best players and stuff like that. But my theory is you definitely need a base, baseline framework to work off. So if your formation is four two three one, that's your baseline. But obviously the players 
or can go anywhere, evolve, can be functional in any place. The midfielder can drop in, forward and drop in, where I can cut inside, the overlaps. All you see on the TV, but then they say, oh, well, you don't need a um, formation. We don't play with formations. Well, kind of you, you kind of need yeah. one, otherwise you kind of get beat every week. If you're just going to yeah. play like, you know, a 6-4 or whatever every week in whatever it might be and you've got no defenders at the back and it's like, well, huh, you're going to get beat every week. So I, I kind of get kind of get both arguments, but for me, you definitely need a baseline formation and then you, work in, you can work off of that to what you want in whatever moves you want to see, whatever combinations you want to see, whatever you want to do. But I'd still believe a baseline formation like a four two three one, my favourite four four two diamond, a three four three diamond, whatever three four three box, whatever it might be, you still need that kind of baseline framework to work off. I don't know what your thoughts are in especially for the foundation phase, even if you're playing five v five, four v four maybe, you still need to see who's playing defence, who's in midfield and who's up front. Oh, definitely. No, there's there's still there's some structure to it, but I said that's just kind of it's there, but it's not the the be all and end all. Yeah. It's like the, the technical side first, with a sprinkling a tactical where it kind of the balance starts shifting. But it's one of the things where I've always been kind of never kind of really kind of to know which one I like most, whether I like the, the foundational phase but most or the YDP because I love the that kind of golden age of learning with the foundation phase and, and the way you can see massive gains and, and the way it can be so much fun. But I do love a good sort of session where you're looking at that tactical detail is is always a is a really enjoyable one if it's like playing up from the back and and rotations and sort of and yeah and pressing and up and a high press and especially kind of when you know what what the opposition are going to play and sort of how we're going to beat that and how we're going to press and stuff like that is is obviously always uh, always loads of fun. Yeah, brilliant. Like you say, um, I, I I quite like. Uh, I know you were saying like the golden age of learning the foundation phase. I quite like the tactical aspects of stuff and that eleven v eleven and that high pressing stuff and, um, you know, because that's. That's the that's a game that they're gonna play when they're older, but I just kind of like that YDP phase and upwards to adult football because I've I've coached in the YDP phase, and I've coached in adult football, so I kind of tend to see myself as like, um, that kind of coach in those phases. Um, like one, I have a silly dream, and I still dream it now, but I'll probably never ever get there because I don't speak the language and and whatever. My dream is to be like a, a youth coach for Ajax. Nice. So I'm I'm thinking to myself, well, if you've got a dream, you might as well aim high and then you can either always come back down the earth a little bit. Um but yeah, but like that, that that's kind of my kind of coaching bag if you if you want to call it like the YDP and throughout to uh, you know, like uh, LMV eleven. Yeah. That's it. There's nothing wrong with having dreams. My my dream is always well. I had two: is one to to work full time for Oxford. I'd be lucky enough to, to achieve that. The other one's to 
to work as a as a youth coach on like for England would be would be amazing. I don't think I'll ever get there if I'm being brutally honest. But as you as you said, what's what's the harm in dreaming? To be yeah. honest with you. So and you how know. and how do you know that you're not going to get there if you don't put the work in? Nah, this is it, and that's you know everything's down to hard work, isn't it? You're not going to get anywhere by being half-hearted with stuff and, and not putting Definitely. the work in. And, no. and, you know, at the end of the day, if you do, and as I always said, I've said to a lo- loads and loads of coaches, I get quite a few DMs and, and people ask about stuff, is that there's nothing special about me. I wasn't a very good footballer. I had a back operation a few years ago, and since then I, I moved like the Titanic. In fairness, um, but you know, even before that, I wasn't a very good footballer. Uh, I'm not a former pro or anything like that. I'm not some sort of tactical genius. I'm just a normal person. And if I can do it, anyone can do it. To be honest with you, so you know, just, the sky's the limit. If you want to do something, just go for it. Yeah, definitely have that like leap of faith and just go for it. If you if you feel you feel if you and go back to the drawing board if you do feel, um and then and 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 keep going and and if you and if you do then try to work hard to stay, you know, there and work at your craft as best you can. Yeah, and then, you know, hard work is a massive bit of it, and it goes back to what we said quite a, quite a while ago in this podcast with also being a good person as well because. And I know people knowing about it, it's who you know as much as what you know. And to yeah. a certain extent it is. But then it goes back to if you're a good person, you've got a good reputation and and you bump into people further down the line who, who might be able to help you, if you've treated them with respect and, you know, all the rest of it, they're more likely to help you. So, you know, who you are and, and your beliefs and, and how you are with other people will will potentially help you or hinder you down the line. Yeah, brilliant bit of advice and brilliant talking to you on the pod, Rob. And thanks very much for coming on. Uh, really appreciate it. And I'm I'm sure the listeners will get definitely s- some golden nuggets out of the pod. Um, really enjoyed listening to you and really enjoyed the chat. So thanks very much, Rob. No, it's been really good. So it's kind of yeah, I love podcasts when they kind of naturally flow, and I hopefully that has. So yeah, be interesting to get the feedback from that. In fairness, but yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Brilliant, thank you.